So this is the first, uh, yes, hello, so to a new series um, on the miracles of John, um, and uh, we're looking at John chapter 2, uh, and the miracle of Jesus changing the water into wine. And all I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it, and we're going to just sort of chat through it, um, and see where it leads us, um, because, um, because that's, that's what we're going to do. Um, so, uh, the, the quote that was up there a few moments ago was, so I'm going to start with uh, working out why John put it in, his gospel in the first place. Um, and that, the reason for that is because he tells us why he's writing the gospel. And that's in, in uh, chapter 20. And it says, uh, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is, sorry, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the reason why John put these, as he calls them, signs, he doesn't just call them miracles, they're not just kind of amazing things, they are, they are signs, and they are signs that show the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is not just a just a human being, but Jesus is something more than that. Jesus is, is the Son of God, is the Christ, is the Savior, is our liberator. Um, and not only that, but that knowing that, uh, that, that these are signs that if we believe in Jesus, then uh, we can have life, life in his name, life in all its fullness, as it says in John 10.10. 10. And um, the, the other point is uh, a verse that we talked about this morning, which is, the word became flesh. And lived for a while among us. So there's that element of, of the word, the, the uncreated one, who becomes human and embodies kind of humanity. Um, and so, so we have, in, in Jesus, we have, John tells us that we have these two joint images. The first, that's, a, that's the... <laughs> um, so so we, we have these two images of God made flesh, the word made flesh in Jesus, and these signs which are to show us that, um, that, that Jesus was the Son of God. So with that as sort of introduction, we are just going to read through. So uh, chapter 2 says, on the third day, and you think, on the third day of what? Well, I can tell you. Um, so uh, we have... Um, we have John the Baptist's testimony um, about uh, kind of the spirit coming down from heaven and, and John the Baptist saying, you know, I've seen and I testify that this, Jesus, is the Son of God. And then it says the next day, John was there again. And then two of his disciples became disciples of, of Jesus, that's sort of Andrew and, and Peter. And then it says the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and kind of found Philip and Nathaniel. So the third day is after he's gathered some of his disciples. So, so his disciples are really new, new people, new members of the gang, basically. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, who here has been to a wedding? Yeah, most of us have been to weddings. All of us have been to weddings. It is a human thing to do. It is a very human celebration. You can't think of anything much more human uh, than, than a wedding. Um, and Jesus' mother was there. 
So you, you get the feeling that you know she probably may have known. This is speculation, obvs. Um, but you know maybe she knew the mother of mother of the bride or the groom, and she'd been invited. Um, and just out of politeness, they, they invited Jesus as well, and his disciples who had only joined the gang in the previous two days. Um, so so at this wedding, at this wedding, there were a whole group of young twenty-something single men. Um, and that may or may not explain uh, when the wine was gone. Um, and when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And um, <laughs> so I'm not the first person I should point out. Some theologians have, have speculated that it was because of the disciples being there that they ran out of wine. Um, but, that, so, but it's interesting to point out because we, in, in the Western world, we are individualist. So we, we think in terms of individuals. Um, so I think I've mentioned this before, but if, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're asked to describe yourself, then most Westerners would say, I am an employee, I am a husband, I am uh, a father, I am a son, I am a lawyer, I am this, that, and the other. Whereas... Whereas in, in kind of uh, most parts of the world, they see themselves as part of community. So we're very individualistic. You know, I am, so I've done it all wrong, haven't I? So I, I am introverted. I am, you know, I am an employee. I'm a lawyer. I'm a this, that, and the other. Whereas most parts of the world would see themselves in connection with, 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 uh, with family and relations and, and things like that. And the consequence of that is that the, when things go bad for us, we feel guilt, because guilt is an individual thing. I have failed to live up to my own standards, and I feel guilt about that. Whereas in most parts of the world, you feel shame. Because shame is that you have brought on, uh, you have done something which has shamed the family or the community. That you, you, you've done something wrong which doesn't, it reflects badly on those around you. Whereas in the West, we tend to think when we've done things badly, they just reflect badly on, on me personally. So... So for wine to run out at a wedding was obviously uh, a bit of a disaster. Um, they, they have no more wine. So Jesus uh, says, uh, dear woman, which is an intriguing way to kind of uh, speak to your to mother. Um, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. And this is one of those odd phrases which, in fact, this whole interaction is a really odd interaction. And in truth, I don't think anyone really knows what's going on in this little section. Um, so he says, dear woman, and interestingly, Mary only appears one other time in John, which is when, he's at the, uh, when she's at the foot of the cross. And there he also d- describes her as woman. He says, you know, woman, here's your son, and he refers her to, to the, the John who wrote the gospel. And, and then says, you know... John Carter, my mother, effectively. Um, but he describes her as woman there as well. So who knows? Maybe it's a term of endearment. Um, but, uh, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. You know, effectively, uh, you know, another translation I've seen is, what does that have to do with you and me? You know, it's not our wedding. Um, it's, not, it's, it's, it's someone else's problem. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> that classic, classic kind of line that we've all tried and failed with. Um, and Jesus also does fail. But he says, my time has not yet come. And that's interesting because he's gathering his disciples. So something has started. 
And he's met John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has, has declared, this is the Son of God. And Nathaniel has already said, you know, this is the Son of God. So, so Jesus has started. So, so what is it that he's slightly concerned about? I mean, we know in John 17, um, which is you know, when Jesus is praying, and this is you know, just before the crucifixion, uh, he says, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. So we know what the time is. The time is uh, the, the crucifixion. is when actually he has to go to the cross and suffer and die. Now, now, did Jesus know that then? Did he know that actually by doing a miracle, that would set in course a series of events that would result in his suffering and death? And actually, he was quite keen to put that off by a day or two. But his mother <laughs> completely ignored him, which is great. That's what mothers do. That's, you know, that's fantastic. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, once again, we can only speculate. Did she see something? Did she know that actually Jesus was capable of performing a miracle? Or was it... Basically, stating, well, Jesus and his mates can pop down the offie and get some more wine. I mean, we, we don't know what she had in mind when she said that, other than she knew that he could sort something out. And, but we don't know what. Now, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, which is an interesting point just to drop in that these are, you know, these are the, for ceremonial washing. So there's something purifying about this. Uh, so there are six stone water jars, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, in a spare moment this afternoon, I worked out how many bottles of wine that was. So um, other than those who already know the answer, um, how many bottles of wine do you think are contained in six stone water jars, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons? 900. 900 bottles of wine were in those jars. 900 bottles. This is Chateau Neuf de Pap. That's a 30 quid bottle of wine. That's 27,000 pounds worth of wine if, if, because it's the finest wine. Extraordinary. I mean, I mean this, this is off the scale in terms of what happened. Um, and uh, so Jesus said uh, to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, uh, though the servants had drawn the water, they, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, I just want us to talk about the practical realities of suddenly producing 900 bottles of wine at the end of of a wedding party. 
it's not very Christian, is it? Or it's not how we have come to regard Christianity. Because Christianity has a sort of, you know, almost like a sort of a slightly killjoy attitude. But this is, this is God made flesh. And the first miracle which is reported in John is of something quite utterly extraordinary. In, in real terms, ignore the spiritual symbolism and all that. In, in, in actual practicalities, that's extraordinary. 900 bottles of wine goes a very long way. <laughs> that is, yes, it goes a very long way. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's just the reality of it. So, and you also think, it's such an... Because people obviously question the miracles and did they happen, did they not? It is such an odd miracle to make up. You wouldn't... You wouldn't create this as a made-up miracle. Because all of other, all Jesus' other miracles are ones which feed in directly to his mission. So, you know, you heal a blind man, and what's, is it Isaiah or whatever? You know, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he heals the, opens the eyes of the blind, he releases the prisoners, and whatever. He, so so those, those miracles fit they fit the narrative, you know, Jesus healing at distance as he does later on and kind of, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, he's fulfilling a need, he's feeding the hungry. So all of those fit the narrative, that the, the, the mission statement. This one doesn't. This one is helping out someone. This is your, your everyday human problem where something just has gone wrong in, in a wedding. But yet Jesus steps in and does something remarkable. Now, if one is going to draw spiritual parallels, then you can say, actually, this is an indication of um, you know, the, 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 the party that we'll have in heaven. And that, you know, that, this is the, that this is the heavenly banquet. This is a precursor of the heavenly banquet. Um, and all of that is true. Um, and, but it is such an extraordinary... And I think... It's, is it symbolic of something in the past? I mean, Jesus is our saviour. Um, Moses was a saviour back in Exodus. What was Moses' first miracle to Pharaoh? Turning, turning the river Nile into blood. Turning water into blood. So there's an echo of Exodus, the first one of the plagues. Um, so, so that there is, there is an echo of the past as well. So there's an echo of the past and there's an echo of the future in the sense of, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm assuming it's red wine. That's obviously kind of, <laughs> I, I, was just talking to, I was just talking to Abby early on. Wouldn't it be fun if two of the jars were, were red, two of the jars were white and two were rosy? I mean, <laughs> sparkling, <laughs> sparkling, a little, little, little bit of pomaine. <laughs> Happy days. Um, or, or, or what is it, uh, baby sham? That'd be a lot more than nine hundred bottles of baby sham, kind of those little. Um, so, uh, so it's it's so what's you know the important thing that what one's meant to do now is say what's the lesson? What do we learn from this? Well, I guess it's a simple one, which is that if Jesus can do that to water, what can He do to you? 
The whole point of John is that he is telling these signs as a way of explaining that Jesus, encouraging us to believe and continue believing in Jesus as the Son of God, so that whoever believes in him will be, will be filled with life. And it's that sense of if you come to Jesus and, what's the phrase, do whatever he tells you, then we will be transformed just in the same way that the water was transformed into wine and our lives will be transformed into something dramatic and special.